0: And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Meredith Scott, the CEO of Opportunity International Australia. Welcome to the program, Meredith. I'd love to know a bit of your story. Tell us whereabouts we were born and raised. Thanks, Matt. So
1: uh, I was born in Hornsby Hospital Um, and raised by my parents in Pennant Hills in New South Wales, um, a suburb of Sydney, mm-hmm. a fairly middle-class upbringing, um, and I had one older sibling and two younger siblings. So the six of us all together mm-hmm. um, lived in our little house in, in Pennant Hills where uh, we spent a very um, mediocre middle-class <laughs> week but then every Sunday we would spend in um, inner city, Sydney, um, as part of the Belvoir Street Baptist Church community. Belvoir Street had a very uh, outreach-focused uh, environment and so quite often my job of a Sunday morning was to sit in the back pew and check out how many uh, homeless people had come in for the service and work out how much corn flour I had to add to the stew to make it go further.
0: Oh, really? Wow. Fascinating.
1: With quite an interesting um, upbringing. So uh, during the week, it was very middle class and going to school and every weekend was about helping the homeless that uh, lived in and around uh, Prince Alfred Park in Redfern and uh, the underprivileged of the housing commission flats that were at the top of Belvoir Street Uh, and during the 80s um, a significant uh, Vietnamese refugee population um, many of whom that Sunday school was a great way of um, their kids getting free English education every Sunday.
0: Mm, Wow, what a great outreach. Well, I know the area well. I remember going to the Belvoir Street Theatre once and I uh, spent some time in Sydney. I remember the area. And uh, so you you were raised in a a household of faith. Uh, Did you always have a faith or was there a conversion experience for you at one stage?
1: There was a very vivid version experience for me when I was about 16. Um, My grandfather was the Reverend R.M. Leghorn and he was on one of his normal hellfire and brimstone uh, experiences and I felt moved by the Spirit and accepted Jesus as my personal saviour then and there. Um, I I still remember the the moment and the pew that I was sitting in at the time uh, and so that then converted me into somebody who has lived a life of faith and engagement with um, the church, churches that we've lived around um, over the years.
0: Mm, That's wonderful. And tell us a bit about your uh, experience after school. Did you uh, go straight to study or did you work? What what, what kind of career did you have?
1: Uh, So I went uh, straight to university and um, studied an economics degree and graduated in the middle of a recession when no one was employing economists Um, and the best job I could get was to work as an auditor with a one of what was called the big nine at the time, uh, Arthur Young, Um, and basically worked really hard for three or so years, got through my chartered accounting years, and then went off to Calgary to work and live for a little while, then travelled around Europe for three months, Um, Came back home to Australia and decided that I really loved working and having somebody else pay for my airfare, and so um, uh, took an assignment and spent two years in Philadelphia, Um, and had a fabulous, fabulous time there. But after a while, decided that I really did need to come home, Uh, and so arrived back home um, after having some wonderful experiences of travelling and working elsewhere in the world to uh, settle back in Australia. Um, Two weeks after I arrived back in Australia, uh, a Scottish expat arrived from our Edinburgh office on a two-year transfer, and within those two years, we dated got engaged, got married, and then I got on a plane to go to Scotland to visit my in-laws already as their (laughs) daughter-in-law. Not necessarily the way most people will do it, but, hey, it worked.
0: (laughs) Tell us a bit about how you got involved with Opportunity International.
1: Uh, opportunity has always been on my radar ever since 2003 when, as an Ernst & Young partner, um, we were all very much standing applauding David Bessow, who had been appointed the Entrepreneur of the Year uh, across all of the Australian business community. So not just in the not-for-profit sector, but across the entire business community and David was sent off to Monte Carlo to represent uh, Ernst & Young Australia and the Australian business community in the World Entrepreneur of the Year program. Um, He didn't quite win it. We understand it was a very close second and we don't know how many people he were told that it was a very close second to. um, But that sort of embedded in me that this is a really smart business model that is being applied to solve a very complex issue. Uh, and so I, I was aware of it back then. I've always been a, a supporter of of the model and the, what it was doing. Um, but I hadn't even thought of uh, leaving Ernst & Young, where by now I had been with uh, 32 years, 19 as a senior partner. Um, to sit around uh, wasn't even contemplating moving across into opportunity um, their role of CEO became available uh, and I had been sent the job spec and just ignored it until the chairman uh, of the board then um, called me and said, we'd really like you to apply. And I laughed and said, you can't afford me. He said, (laughs) well, don't give up quite yet. Let me at least have coffee. So the next thing I'm having coffee with him, having coffee with some of the other directors, having lunch. I don't think I ever formally applied for the job, but um, (laughs) they ended up offering me the role um, last December and I started in the role uh, on Easter Tuesday this April.
0: Well it is a wonderful organisation and I uh, remember interviewing David Busso many years ago and I've become friends with Brian Barclay and Maria, a whole bunch of the team from Opportunity International Australia and I had the privilege of going on a trip to the Philippines uh, to see the work of Opportunity International on the ground with uh, their partner organisation ASCII and I saw, I remember going into uh, homes of, uh, of people that used to be in extreme poverty and uh, they just received a small loan, which you know I remember there was one lady. she she got a loan to to get three piglets. and then she ended up getting uh, paying the loan back and ended up uh, becoming successful, ended up getting an education for her two daughters. And uh, I think her daughter now has a a scholarship at Georgetown University in Washington doing a Master of Global Human Development. She's an incredible young lady named uh, Amina. Uh, And it all started because her mum got a loan for three piglets. And it's probably, I don't know, $100 worth uh, that she pays back. Uh, It's incredible to see how one small loan can change not just one person but a whole family and a whole community.
1: And when I talk to the mothers and I talk with the clients of Opportunity, it's about them creating a better future for their children. Uh, and isn't that what we all want? Mm. We all want our kids to be given a, a better outcome, a better life, a more comfortable life. And women who are living in poverty are no different from women that I meet here in, this, in Sydney, Um this is this is about what they are motivated to
0: do. And you know what? I, th- I think it's fascinating that, uh, you know, a, a bloke named David Bessow, who I, I think when he started, he was working as a builder for... Was it for Kerry Packer? Is that the story?
1: He was actually working out of Darwin in the Cyclone Tracy um, recovery build and had decided to go up to Indonesia just for a, a bit of a break, and met a fellow by the name of Katoot. Uh, yes, that really was a guy by the name of Katoot. And he just gave him some money to buy a sewing machine to start up a tailoring business. Uh, and when it went, uh, when he was ready to repay the loan, uh, David said to Katoot, "Don't give it to me. Give it to somebody else who you think could use it to start a business." And that's really how the model started. Um, it was a simple act of generosity by David to meet an immediate need with something as tangible as something someone felt was actually providing them the dignity to repay it without it being a handout, um, but also allowing them to really use their entrepreneurial skills in a way that could in fact create this better future for themselves and their children.
0: And it's a, a slogan that I've heard before that it's not just giving a handout, it's a hand up And uh, what what percentage of the loans get repaid?
1: It's 98%. These are the people whom the financial institutions will leave behind, who won't touch. And we have yet a 98% repayment rate. So the question is, how does that actually happen? And I know it sounds a little bit unbelievable and most Australian banks, when you tell them you've got a 90% repayment rate on your loan book, they look at you as if you've just landed from Mars. But when we go into a village or when our program partners go into a village and offer a loan to uh, a woman, they actually offer them to a group of women. And those women essentially cross guarantee each other's loans so not only does the individual loan recipient have a vested interest in her business being successful she now has a vested interest in every single one of those businesses in the village being successful and so what you've got is this this self interest at a group level making sure that everybody is successful and and telling them when they're not being not doing the right thing or that they're being lazy or whatever there is there is this group uh, peer pressure that is applied to them being able to repay those loans. So as a result of that, you can see that you not only getting a 98% re- repayment rate and therefore the ability to recycle the loan loan corpus, but you get an economic development at the grassroots village level.
0: And I love that the, it's really the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, it's a little bit like the parable of the talents in the Bible, you know, that someone was given a talent, and then they were asked to give a return on investment. Uh, and, and this is what you guys are doing. You guys are being entrepreneurial with your charity, uh, reaching out to people and giving them uh, a loan that will set them up for success uh, in life. It's Instead of you know give, giving them a fish, it's teaching them how to fish. Um, now, I'd love to know about the, the focus. It's in India, Indonesia and the Philippines and uh, over 5.6 million families have uh, made the journey out of poverty through these loans. But 95% of them are women, which is uh, something that I just think is so important because in a lot of these cultures, uh, they're not very empowering cultures for women. But here you are, uh, an organisation giving these women an opportunity to really, you know, get, get out of the depths of poverty and have their lives transformed.
1: Absolutely. So, in a lot of these cultures, the women are not given financial access. Um, They are not treated with the same uh, equality or respect that we would expect um, in the first world. And as a result, they would not have normally been allowed to take out a loan. But the reality is that unless we do give those loans to the women who would be otherwise um, left behind you don't actually get that grassroots economic development. So there is a special focus of our program partners and their need to be socially aligned with what we're trying to achieve, which is making sure that no-one gets left behind and that those who would otherwise not be serviced by other financial institutions are given the access that they need to actually create a future for themselves. Um, uh, You might just... uh, check one of those those data points that you gave before it's actually 6 million people that we currently are servicing with a microfinance wow. loan and mm. um, so the numbers the, the millions that we have impacted have been huge because that's just our current loan book which is It it totals up to a two billion Australian dollar loan book across all of our program partners, um, and they are servicing six million microfinance um, clients. There are millions more that we are servicing through our community development services, such as our health, nutrition, and sanitation education program. So you'll see the microfinance loan officers going out to the villages and our community health leader sitting on the back of the motorbike, usually with a sari flapping in the breeze, <laughs> which makes me nervous about it getting caught in the wheels. But <laughs> um, and, and after the business of the loan repayments is conducted, the village women will then sit and listen to the community health facilitator in whatever education she needs to give them that fortnight. Uh, it could be... Health, it could be washing hands, it could be the advantages of having a toilet, how to access funding under the Indian government's toilet scheme, it could be nutrition and how to build a kitchen garden so that they can introduce vegetables into their, their diet. Um, it's also how we develop and uh, deliver some of our child sex trafficking prevention programs and domestic violence mitigation programs. Mm. We have specialised loans that can be lent to parents to pay for school fees because in these developing countries, even the most basic of education in the public system requires an upfront school fee to be paid. And for those that we are dealing with, the majority of whom earn less than uh, $1.90 a day, paying any lump some um, is just horrendously difficult and challenging so by providing a, a school fee loan they're actually allowing their children to be educated and we all know the importance of education to the future of the next generation.
0: Mm. Well it certainly is wonderful and I can remember in my time in the Philippines uh, with Opportunity International uh, having the privilege of speaking at a couple of church services for the staff over there and uh, being a part of little Bible studies with some of the, the people that receive loans. Uh, there's a great faith aspect aspect as well. Uh, it's a, a wonderful organization. If people want to find out more, the website is opportunity.org.au and also you can look them up on Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. You'll find all the links there. Uh, it's been great to catch up with you today, Meredith. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Matt. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at There You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Historymakers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater. And my challenge to you now is to go and make history. history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory of the Church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, go to BibleLeague.com.au Station Sponsor
1: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au